0: God, pour out your love upon us as we open your word now, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. I do consider it nothing less than a privilege to be able to preach God's word to you today. The name of my sermon The title, Flowing in God's Love. Now this is part three of a series. Part one was preached on April the 23rd last year. It's title, Extravagant Love. The content, God's love for us is nothing less than extravagant. Part two, July 16, title, Living in Love. Our text, 1 John 4, 16. This is an amazing, this is amazing. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. I I just think that text holds so much power in it. We can know God's love. We can rely on God's love and we can live in God's love. Now under the heading, living in God's love, we looked at, Finding ourselves in God's love, resting in God's love, rejoicing in God's love, trying in God's love, sighing in God's love, leaning on God's love and learning in God's love. We ran out of time. I couldn't finish the last two points under that heading. They were dying in God's love and flowing in God's love. Now, dying in God's love, I'm preparing that one. That's going to be at a future date. I'm dying to preach it. That's as funny as it's going to get today, I think. <laughs> today, flowing in God's love. Now, firstly, because most of us have the gift of forgetting, I want to start with a few foundational facts shared in those previous two sermons. Now, really, the subject of God's love is the most foundational, important, wonderful of all subjects. In our reading today, 1 John 4:16 we read these amazing words that include, God is love. The great thing is, this love looks our way. In 1 John 4, 8 and 9, just a little bit above where we just read, again we read, God is love. God is love. And it goes on to explain, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Put very simply, God loves us. Jesus proves it. I could actually wind up my sermon there. God loves us. Jesus proves it. Now, Jesus defined and demonstrated God's love to us very clearly. He said, when we come home to the Father's love... He sees us coming, he runs to us, he hugs us, he kisses us, he forgives us, he puts a robe on our shoulders, sandals on our feet, ring on our finger and then throws a party. Do you know what this means? Simply this, he really loves us. God really loves us. In Matthew 9 verses 35 to 36 we read, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion that flowed out of his love. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Listen to what Billy Graham says of Jesus when commenting on these scriptures. Jesus loved As no human is able to love, he looks at us all this way. His love engulfs the whole world, the whole human race from time beginning to end. His love knows no bounds, no limits, no one is excluded. And of course the greatest demonstration of this love, the cross. Jesus died that we might live. Jesus said, no greater love has no one but this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Now I know he was speaking to his disciples that time when he said, you are my friends, but I believe he would look at us and say exactly the same. Love defined, okay, qualities of love. In Colossians 3, we read that love is the virtue above all others. It binds all the other virtues together. It binds together compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience and forgiveness. The famous chapter on love read at every wedding, 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. Doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. There's some qualities of love. But here's the definition for us today. The most fundamental characteristic of this eternal love of God is that it seeks the good of the other. It values the other. Now, I just want to quickly note it doesn't mean that anything goes. In the Old Testament, God disciplines the nation of Israel and individuals who He loved in no uncertain way. In the New Testament, Jesus had very harsh words for the proud religious Pharisees. His words were, they're so harsh, but they were wake up call. Those guys needed a smack in the face. See, they were lost in their religion. And then we know that Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, saying, this is to be a place of prayer, not a market for money-making. Another wake-up call. Keep your priorities in order. Our responsibility when we love. Speak the truth in love. Now, I believe that we're designed to be loved and to love. We read, God is love. The word love, love, loves, loving appears about 700 times in the Bible. It's a major theme. In fact, this could be simply called a love story. In Galatians 5, 6, we read, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. The only thing that counts is faith in God, trust in God, relationship with God, expressing itself in love. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 2. If we do not have love, we are nothing. Without love, guys, forget it. Without love, forget it. Jesus said the most, two important things in life are, you know them, love God and love people. Love, love is the most important thing. Now whether we know it or not, we want to know we were loved. And that desire to know that we're loved, that we're valued, can result in us trying so hard to impress others that we might be loved. Or the alternative, it may cause us to give up altogether as we feel unloved and worthless. Illustration, Ed Smith, some of them you will know the name. He, uh, he uh, authored the book Healing Life's Hurts. He says, I remembered a time from the second or third grade when I was on the playground. Two children had been appointed to choose sides to the game we were about to play. I was the very last to be chosen for the team. I watched as the team captains argued who had to have me on their team. I felt rejected and loved, not good enough. The message underneath these feelings were lies that I believed. And they were the source, the source of the pain I was experiencing. But the Spirit of Christ later revealed these words to my heart and mind. I love and want you and I choose you. The instant I understood these words, the anxiety and tightness in my chest vanished. My memory of what happened on the playground is not traumatic. It was not about abuse, yet it contained lies that were hindering my adult life. David Watson, in his book Fear No Evil. Now, David Watson was the Anglican minister at a little church in York, England, had a handful of people about to close. God used him in amazing ways. It finished up ministering to 3,000 people in that church, but also it got him to be a traveller over the whole world, uh, preaching. And he shifted to London and about a month later was diagnosed with cancer of the bowel. He wrote the book Fear No Evil during the period from January 1980 until February 1982, one year when he died of cancer. All that time he was hoping for healing but suffering terribly. He said, once when I was deeply depressed, possibly due to a sense of personal failure, A friend wrote to share what he thought God was saying to me. Although he knew nothing about my depression at the time, this is what he wrote. My child, I want you to know and feel that I know and love you. I love you because I first knew you. I know you at depths that are even hidden from you. My spirit searches every corner of your being. I love you. Not because I don't know and understand you, but because I do know and understand you. I want you to know and feel that I love you as you are. Not because of what you have already achieved for me and my power. Not because of what you hope to achieve, but because of who you are, my child. Enjoy who you are, my child. My child, who has nothing to prove, but the depths of your father's everlasting and unchanging love. David says, I took that as a prophetic word, a word from God, and it completely unlocked my depression. Although I was constantly telling others how much God loved them, I needed to hear and know that for myself. But here's something amazing that he writes a little later in his book. I looked more dead than alive. However, God has been far from inactive in my life. This was written in Jan 84, one month before he died. About 1am on Sunday morning, I had an asthmatic attack, along with a cancer that had spread to his liver. He has this asthmatic attack. In my helplessness, I cried out to God to speak to me. I'm not very good at listening to God, but between 1 and 3am, God spoke to me so powerfully and painfully that I'd never felt so broken before him. And he says, I still do. He showed me that all my preaching, writing and other ministry was absolutely nothing compared to my love relationship with him. I'm now not clinging to physical life, he says, but I'm clinging to the Lord. Father, not my will, but yours be done, he says. In that position of security, I've experienced once again his perfect love, a love that casts out fear. The point I wanted to emphasise in reading that is not only do we appreciate being loved, but God appreciates being loved. Did you hear what he said? It's not your teaching. It's not your preaching. It's not the books you've authored that are a to me. It's your love relationship with me. It's a two-way thing. See, God, God has feelings. He can be grieved. He, he can be filled with joy. I think sometimes... God is more like us than we actually realise. He loves to be loved as we love to be loved. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, it's coming up. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, Jesus is saying again, guys, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. And someone put it this way, God wants our love, not our luggage. Last bit on love, little tract that somewhere along the way I picked up. Max 316. The number of hope now that's not the time I'm going to finish my sermon it's actually a scripture that we all know well For God so loved the world that he got it, gave his only son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life this is what he says about God's love God loves you because he chose to do so God wasn't attracted to you and didn't choose you because you were big and important. He did it out of sheer love. God's love for you depends on his goodness, not yours. And since he is totally good, you are absolutely loved. You don't need to win his love. You already have it. And since you can't win it, you can't lose it. And he will love you forever. You may step outside of his will, but never his love. Mark it down. He loves you. Okay, this is where the sermon starts. Flowing in God's love. That was the introduction. We're now going to get up close and personal. Ephesians 5 2 says to us very plainly, Live a life of love. Live a life of love. We need to live in love for our own sake because the opposite to love is hate, bitterness, envy, jealousy, unforgiveness. If these negatives are in our spirit we'll be unhealthy and unhappy. Proverbs 17:22 a crushed spirit dries up the bones. An unloving spirit bashes the bones muddles the mind and sours the soul. God's love in our heart sets us free and blesses us in every way. But we need to live in love for other's sake. You know people need to be touched by God's love. The challenge for us today, God's love can flow through us to others. I know I shared this with you. Sorry, jumped ahead of myself. Back to David Watson. He's sick as a dog in hospital. His wife, Anne, came into the hospital room positively glowing. And she told him, John Wimber, Blaine Cook, and John McClure are arriving here on Wednesday. Some of you will know the name John Wimber. He's deceased now, but God used him in a big way to to minister around the world. John Wimber and his associates Blaine Cook and John McClure were flying from California to London to be with John. That's fantastic. I could hardly believe it, I replied. I knew that they were praying for me. But all three of them to fly over from California seems incredible. Why bother with me, I asked myself. Why me? My eyes became moist. What did they say, Anne? Simply that they love you and they're coming straight over. They're booking rooms in a hotel because they don't want to be a burden to anyone. I was astonished at this expression of love. I think it was this tangible expression of caring love which did more for me than anything else. Did you hear that? I was filled with praise that God loved me so much. A love wonderfully expressed through this worldwide family. See, God's love expressed through John, Blaine and John. A love wonderfully expressed through this worldwide family. However long or short my life might be, nothing was more profound or important than knowing God loved me. He goes on on another page to say, there is great healing power in love, especially the love of God. What helped me more than anything was the expression of that love through numerous Christians who obviously cared for me, prayed for me, encouraged me, thus surrounding me with the love of God. I often sing this little chorus that many of you know. Love is flowing like a river, flowing out to you and me. Flowing out into the desert, setting all the captives free. And the second verse, let it flow through me. Let it flow through me. Let the mighty love of God flow out through me. So how are we doing? How am I doing? I need God's help in a big way. I don't always have a good attitude towards the Muslim terrorists. I don't even have a good attitude when I see a woman wearing a burqa. That's the head, face and body covering. I think they look like black letterboxes. <laughs> see, that's not a loving thing to say, is it? People with multiple tattoos and body piercings. The loud and the proud. Annoying and selfish drivers. The Port Adelaide players and supporters. <laughs> No, I I actually don't mind them when they lose to my side. (laughs) And those that I don't like for whatever reason, like those who perhaps voted yes to the same-sex marriage and those who put the yes vote into practice. See, I need help. I know it. I know God wants me to love everyone, friends and enemies, those that agree, those that disagree. I know that God loves everybody. We've established that in this sermon so far. He wants me, he wants you to tell others about his love for them. But I know that if God's love is not in my heart, my telling will not be listened to and have any good effect. I know that. This is where I was going to start. I've told you this story. I'm on the train from Venice to Trieste with Narina and my daughter Natalie. And uh, the carriage was rather empty, but there was a young lady sitting by herself on the train. She had tattoos, body piercing, different hairstyle, her clothing, probably a bit gothic, I think. I had judgmental thoughts towards her, they weren't loving. But as she was getting off at a station well before Trieste, I noticed she was carrying a small cage. And I was standing there and I said, Oh, hello, what's in the cage? Sorry. <laughs> I f- saw her face change. Her countenance changed before me. Her face lit up. She smiled. She proudly took the cover off the cage and showed me her new little kitten. In front of my very eyes, a beautiful young lady appeared. I liked her. We talked together. We shared a friendly goodbye. I've not forgotten the lesson. Don't be too ready to judge by outside appearances. See, in our sharing, if we have an attitude of superiority, forget it. If we simply have an argument we want to win, forget it. If we treat people as a statistic, if we witness because we love ourselves, how good we can speak and what we know. Forget it. We may win a person to our cause, but not the cause of Christ. You know this little quote. A person really won't care how much you know until how much they know you care. John thirteen thirty-four. Jesus said, this is how people are going to know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. We can abbreviate that by the love that's in your heart. Okay, how are we doing? We're going to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. Yes, we've been there. But what I want you to do, this is a test, all right? Instead of the word love, I want you to put your name there. And we'll see how we're going. I'll put my name there. You put your name there. David is patient, David is kind. David does not envy. David doesn't boast. David is not proud. David doesn't dishonour others. David is not self-seeking. David is not easily angered. David keeps no record of wrong. How are you doing, guys? Poorly as me? I don't even feel I can read it. David does not delight in evil. David rejoices with the truth. David always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. David never fails. Oh, How'd you go? The answer. Let's get to the answer. The answer flowing in God's love. Romans 5.5. 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. See, God is the reservoir of love. Like water flows from a reservoir to our homes, God's lover flows from his heart to ours. However, for this to happen, we've got to connect up with God's reservoir of love. And then we need to turn all the taps on. It did say poured, so let it pour. It's been said that love is the circulate, circ, circulatory system of the body. So the way forward, be filled and be being filled with the Spirit. We should be saying to God every day, Lord, fill me with your Spirit today. Fill me with your Spirit. Why not every moment of the day? And particularly when we're confronted by people that we don't love. God, fill me with your Spirit. I need your Spirit now. It's not enough for us just to daydream in the Spirit. You know that? Oh, yeah, I'm filled with God's spirit. That's not enough. We have to co- a cognitive part to play. We need to activate our will. Galatians 5, 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh or the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. We, we've got some, some hard work to do. Crucify just means to... What we do... We say no to our sinful nature and those negative thoughts that flow out of that. And we say yes to God's spirit. Don't have to say it as loudly as that. A little story that might help us live this out. There is a natural, logical kind of loving that loves lovely things and lovely people. That's logical. But there is another kind of loving that doesn't look for value in what it loves. But that creates value in what it loves. Like Rosemary's rag doll. When Rosemary, my youngest child, was three, that's not me, I'm reading, she was given a little rag doll, which quickly became an inseparable companion. She had other toys that were intrinsically far more valuable, but none that she loved like she loved that rag doll. Soon the rag doll became more and more rag and less and less doll. It also became more and more dirty. If you try to clean the rag doll, it became more ragged still. The sensible thing to do was to trash the rag doll. But that was unthinkable for anyone who loved my child. If you loved Rosemary, you loved the rag doll. Love me. Love my rag dolls, says God. So is it saying... So we see people as God's rag dolls who God's love? The answer is yes. But just a point of note before we take this thought to heart or get offended by it. Here's the truth. We're all rag dogs. But God loves us anyway. Examples. I want to share some examples of this expression of love that have moved me, they are examples to me and I hope they will be today. Remember we talked about love needing to be defined and demonstrated, shared in word and deed. It's not enough to just dump a definition of love, we have to demonstrate it for it to have any effect. Salvation Army worker found a derelict woman alone on the street and invited to come to the chapel for help. The woman refused to move. The worker assured her, we love you and want to help you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. But the woman did not budge. As if on a divine impulse, the army lassie leant over and kissed the woman on the cheek, taking her into her arms. The woman began to sob and like a child was led into the chapel where she ultimately trusted Christ. You told me that God loves me, she said, but it wasn't until you showed me that God loved me that I wanted to be saved. Those of you that are my age probably heard the name Barry Maguire, contemporary with people my age. He sang in 1962 with the folk singing group, the New Christy Minstrels. 1965, his big hit, you know what it is, The Eve of Destruction. Very negative, very impacting song. Well, before, sorry, during a show at the Whiskey To-Go-Go, now that's in Sunset Strip, West Hollywood, California. One night, Barry Maguire says he walked out the front door of Whiskey and there's this guy sitting there, chained to a cross, about 10 foot long and 7 foot wide, Four metres long, three metres wide. He's dressed in a kind of sackcloth material, hippie kind of homemade clothes. Everyone's embarrassed. They're walking by left and right and nobody's looking. Barry Maguire says, I come walking out the door and he's looking right into my eyes. I didn't want to blow my cool so I said, hey, what's happening? The only thing he said to me was, Jesus, man. That's all he said. And for the first time in my life, I saw a pure, non-judgmental, compassionate, caring love coming out of his eyes. There was no judgment, no condemnation, no self-righteousness, no disgust, just pure caring coming from him. I could sense his concern for my well-being. Barry Guy says that totally disarmed me. The brief meeting set in motion changes that would result in Maguire adopting a Christian worldview soon after came a christian that traveled the world singing gospel songs for Jesus years later the two met again the man with the cross was Arthur blessed an evangelist who traveled the world carrying his cross i tell people this now if people don't see christ flowing out of your eyes it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth if they don't see love non-judgmental love flowing out of our eyes we can just stand there and sprout Scripture all day long, and it's just like tinkling cymbals and clanging brass. Arthur Blessett, in 1969, walked across America carrying his four-metre cross. He actually had a coffee uh, Jesus chat room, and he had put this big cross on the wall, and he felt God say, carried the cross across America. He did. He carried the cross across, and then for the next 50 years, he has visited how many? 324 countries in the world sharing the love of Jesus. He said, the most awesome adventure in the world. I saw him when he came to Adelaide with his cross. Listen to this. Scott Blackwell. Just put your seatbelts on and say, God, let me listen. As a three-year-old, he suffered from meningitis. It left him with neurological issues, bladder, bad back, muscle spasm, headaches. One leg longer than the other, he walked with a profound limp. His mantra was, I am not normal. I am not normal. When nine years old, his mother left his father for another man. His relationship with his father was severely fractured. So at the age of 18, he says, I was tired, starving, sick, experimenting widely with any drug I could find, mildly suicidal and alone. In my grief and despair, I began to read the stories of Jesus. I soon found myself kneeling in, an, in my empty bedroom in the apartment I shared and praying, God, if you get me out of this, I'll be your friend forever. God was merciful. God kept his part of my deal And so I did what every young adult male would do. When things got better, I promptly forgot about him and my promise. I enrolled for university and then dropped out after failing every subject. I realised that I'd better get a job. I landed a job as cook in an inner-city youth crisis. It's Sydney, by the way. A Christian organisation rang the crisis centre. The witness and behaviour of the Christian welfare staff at the centre made a significant impact on me. The kids who came into the centre were what I used to call knuckle kids. They were hard, violent, deceitful, ruthless. Day after day I watched the staff deal with these kids. They seemed endlessly patient, wonderfully gentle and they were always forgiving. The kids abused them verbally and physically, threatened them, spat on them and ridiculed them but they never took a backward step from love. And the kids kept coming back day after day. I watched them, I came to see the enormous gulf between their attitude and mine. Their tolerance and patience came from a different place. Their willingness to love in the face of abuse was totally mystifying. But I knew deep in my heart that to be like them was what I wanted and needed most. That is something that I lacked. Whatever it was, it shone through their words, work, attitude and motivation. It was Jesus. So I found myself praying again. I was crying out for rescue and change. I wanted God to be real in my life. I wanted Jesus to be a person I could relate to and lean on. And by degrees and through God's grace, my prayer was answered. I began to talk. Read my New Testament. I went to church for the first time and was astonished to hear a message that was intelligent, understandable and challenging. That's a challenge to (laughs) preachers. I hope my message is intelligent, understandable and challenging. Most important of all was the wonderful discovery of forgiveness. I was free. I was free from the hurts that had dogged me since my childhood. I was free from the resentment I carried concerning my disability I was free from the baggage of a broken family. I discovered I could actually step away from the anger I felt towards my mum, began to better understand my father's frailties. Finally, I was able to understand myself why I was the way I was, and I didn't need to live in an attitude of bitterness and self-defense. I didn't have to be the man I was. I could be someone new. To discover all these things in the salvation message of the gospel was pure joy. It was like finally breaking the surface of deep, dark water and being able to breathe again. I was free to live and love as God had always meant me to. The night I finally realised the whole truth of the gospel, the love of God fell on me like a hammer blow and I held my ribs while I wept. They were tears of grief blended with joy that God would love me in such a way, that God would save me at the terrible cost of death of his one and only son, a love I'd never dreamed existed. I stood up as a new creation, a new man with a radically transformed understanding what it means to be truly healed. Fantastic, but did you hear where it started? In a crisis centre when he observed the love in the workers' hearts. He saw it. He saw it demonstrated. He is now an ordained minister serving God in Sydney challenge 11.10 oh we're doing fine guys challenge do we have testimonies of how God's love has flowed through us and made a positive difference in other people's lives or have we just put people off or have we been too scared to try Billy Graham says above all love should be the understanding the out, outstanding mark among believers in every local congregation listen to this church I have learned there is no point in talking about strong churches and weak churches big churches and little churches warm churches and cold churches such categories are unrealistic and beside the point there is only one there is only a loving church or and unloving church. I'm black, back to Scott Blackwell. Scott Blackwell. just I'm including these words. I just find them so moving and so powerful. He says, It is our privilege to minister the love of Jesus to each other. We share our courage together in times of difficulty. We speak to each other of our hope in times of adversity. We are there to steady one another should we stumble. We are ready to carry one another should we become frail. We suffer, we grieve, we mourn together. We rejoice, we weep, we learn together. We are the body of Christ and we recognise that not a single one of us is less worthy of honour, care, dignity, love or encouragement than another. We walk towards Christ the King and we walk together. In this way we declare our faith in God. In this way we show our discipleship and reveal our Master to the world. The new commandment I give to you, that you wa- love one another just as I have loved you. You also you also are to love me, <laughs> to love one another. By all this people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for the other. Barry Chan in his book on revival concludes his book with these words. When all is done, the game is over, the crowds have gone home, The lights have been turned off. This is the primary question that will remain. Did we love as Jesus loved? Church, Hills Christian Family Centre, may we be known for our love. Individually, may the words of the simple chorus be meaningful to us all. Love is flowing like a river, flowing out to you and me, flowing out into the desert, setting all the captives free. May we all sing, let it flow through me. Let it flow through me. Let the mighty love of God flow out through me. You know my little saying, be open for business. I believe if we tell God we're open for business, he'll send the customers along. We need to just make sure as his love fills our heart. May God's love touch people that God loves as it flows out to us. Because I've got a minute, the eve of destruction, just a couple of lines. The eastern world is exploding, violence flaring, and bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, what's that gun you're toting? The button is pushed, there's no running away. There'll be no one to save with the world in a grave. Think of all the hate there. Take a look around. You may leave here for four days in space but when you return, it's the same old place. Hate your next door neighbor but don't forget to say grace. You can bury your dead but don't leave a trace. You tell me over and over and over and over again, my friend, you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction? No, no, you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. I don't know how close it is. The Bible talks about coming. The world needs to be touched by the love of God. And it's the only love that can make the difference. Amen? music team you come the song's right on theme I invite you to stand and then hand over to Wayne When Dave shared about what he was going to be preaching on this morning, I felt this song really fitted well, that, that um, we'd take his, his love to those around us and that we'd build our life on his love. Let's stand together to sing. And if you've been touched in any way this morning and you would like um, someone to pray with you, or if there are things going on in your life that you'd just love to share with someone feel free to come down the front and there'll be someone who will be willing to stand alongside you and to pray with you.